a long-serving senator announces his retirement from leadership. An appropriations proposal fails to fix recent Medicare physician reimbursement cuts. And Congress once again extends the government funding deadline. For the week of March 4th, 2024, from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., this is Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. I'm Matt Duckworth. So yesterday, congressional leaders announced that we've come to an agreement to avoid a shutdown this weekend so we can finish our work to fund the federal government for the rest of the year. The House Kicking off this week's episode with news from Capitol Hill, where last week, Congress averted the threat of a partial government shutdown and passed the fourth interim spending measure of fiscal year 2024. The latest stopgap spending bill maintains a laddered approach to government funding, extending appropriations for some departments through March 8th and others through March 22nd. The bill passed the House of Representatives in a 320 to 99 vote on Thursday and was approved by the Senate hours later in a 77 to 13 vote. President Biden signed the legislation into law on Friday. In related news, lawmakers have reached agreement on the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2024, which includes funding for several appropriations measures. Those include Agriculture, Food and Drug Administration, Transportation, Housing and Urban Development, Veterans Affairs, Energy, Commerce, Justice, and Interior, through September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. Leadership hopes to finalize and pass the deal, which accounts for approximately 27% of federal agency spending, first in the House and then in the Senate this week, ahead of the March 8th deadline. In the coming days, an agreement is expected to be released for the remaining six appropriations bills, including the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Congress has until March 22nd to fund those remaining portions of the federal government. The Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2024, which is going to be considered by Congress this week, includes provisions related to public health, Medicaid, and Medicare. Notably, the agreement includes a provision related to Medicare physician payment. However, the agreement leaves in place the full Medicare physician cut of 3.37%, relative to 2023 payments, from January 1st to March 8th, and then from March 9th through December 31st, subjects them to a cut of 1.69% relative to 2023 payments. The full list of health provisions included can be found in our weekly written policy briefing on the news page of our website at www.hhs.com. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. news from Congress this week, where the House of Representatives plans to consider several health care-related bills on the floor under suspension of the rules. The chamber is scheduled to vote on the End Fentanyl Act, the Preventing Maternal Death Reauthorization Act, the Firefighter Cancer Registry Reauthorization Act, the Medicaid Primary Care Improvement Act, the Action for Dental Health Act, the Gabrielle Miller Kids First Research Act, and the 988 Lifeline Cybersecurity Responsibility Act. 
thinking about when I would deliver some news to the Senate. I always imagined a moment when I had total clarity and peace about the sunset of my work. A moment when I'm certain I have helped preserve the ideals I so strongly believe. That day arrived today. That was the voice of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican from Kentucky, who announced last week his intention to step down as Republican leader at the end of his two-year term, which concludes at the start of the next Congress in January. McConnell does not plan to retire from the Senate entirely and is not up for re-election until 2026. With a 17-year tenure as Republican leader, McConnell is the chamber's longest-serving party leader in history. Senate Minority Whip John Thune of South Dakota, John Cornyn of Texas, and GOP Conference Chair John Barrasso of Wyoming are widely viewed as McConnell's most likely potential successors. An election for McConnell's replacement will take place in November. Is there objection? Reserving the right to object. The senator from Mississippi. The court's holding in favor of the parents found that these frozen human embryos are children under Alabama law. It did not ban IVF, nor has any state banned That was the voice of Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, a Republican from Mississippi, who last week blocked consideration of legislation on the Senate floor that would have provided federal protections for in vitro fertilization. Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, sought unanimous consent to pass her Access to Family Building Act, which would establish a statutory right to access IVF and other fertility treatments for all Americans. Hyde-Smith argued that the bill's definition of assisted reproductive technology was too expansive and could legalize cloning and the creation of human-animal chimeras. Other Republicans have argued that state legislatures should lead in protecting access to fertility treatments. Duckworth stated that she plans to request a roll-call vote on the bill to force members to take a stand on the issue. In the wake of its Supreme Court ruling on frozen embryos, the Alabama state legislature passed measures last week to protect in vitro fertilization patients and providers from criminal or civil liability if embryos they create are subsequently damaged or destroyed. The bills must be reconciled between the state house and senate before being sent to Governor Kay Ivey, a Republican, who is expected to sign the bill into law. In related news, Senator Hyde-Smith, alongside Representative August Pfluger, a Republican from Texas, led an amicus brief signed by nearly 150 other Republican members of Congress and submitted last week urging the Supreme Court to maintain a lower court's restrictions around the medication abortion drug mifepristone. Democrats submitted their own amicus brief in January, arguing that the court should not curtail access to the medication. Moving on today, where the Federal Trade Commission has informed lawmakers on Capitol Hill that none of the six pharmacy benefit managers contacted as part of the agency's investigation into PBMs have fully responded to the agency's orders. A letter from the FTC chair, Lena Kahn, stated, quote, We expect to have all the materials very soon. If, however, 
some of the companies fail to fully comply with the orders or engage in any actionable delaying tactics, the FTC can take them to court to compel compliance. Unquote. The agency's letter was released by Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, who was part of the bipartisan group of senators that initially called for the administration to investigate PBM industry practices. The FTC launched its investigation in June of 2022 and expanded it in May and June of 2023. Grassley expressed concerns with the FTC's latest response, highlighting that PBMs had been provided with 90 days to submit requested materials. He called for a concrete status update from the FTC and noted his intention to continue to push for, quote, swift and thorough results, unquote. Sticking with the Senate today, where the chamber's bipartisan artificial intelligence working group is recommending that the Senate Finance Committee consider how the Medicare and Medicaid programs can be used to fund AI innovations in healthcare, according to Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican from South Dakota. Rounds, along with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senator Todd Young, a Republican from Indiana, and Senator Martin Heinrich, a Democrat from New Mexico, formed the Chamber's Bipartisan Artificial Intelligence Working Group, which organized a series of AI insight forums last year. According to Rounds, the working group plans to issue a report by the end of this month containing ideas and guidelines to inform AI legislation. Last week, Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, and Ranking Member Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, sent a letter to the Department of Commerce urging Secretary Gina Romiondo to more sufficiently use its existing authorities to prevent adversary access to U.S. technology, capital, data, and talent in critical technology sectors, including the biotechnology sector. Warner and Rubio argue that China has continuously attempted to, quote, leverage the lack of U.S. controls surrounding access to American innovation, data, and talent to undermine U.S. superiority in critical sectors and related supply chains, unquote. The lawmakers specifically suggest that the Department of Commerce implement an export control regime targeting the biotechnology sector, as undertaken with the semiconductor industry, and impose controls on the sharing of American data. Last week, the Health Sector Coordinating Council Cybersecurity Working Group published its five-year health industry cybersecurity strategic plan. The document aims to guide C-suite executives, information technology and security leaders, and other relevant stakeholders toward investment and implementation of strategic cybersecurity principles that will measurably reduce risks to patient safety, data privacy, and care operations. The plan was released in the midst of fallout from a cyber attack on United Health's Change Healthcare, which has resulted in widespread disruptions for both patients and healthcare providers. United Health Group is directing providers facing a liquidity crisis due to the outage to a temporary funding assistance program administered by its subsidiary, Optum Financial Services, though some providers have taken to social media to highlight that the amounts made available fall short of what's needed to maintain their operations. The White House National Security Council is reportedly considering administrative options to provide short-term financial relief from federal health programs for hospitals 
impacted by the cyber attack. in guidance right now, what's that based on? Well, we are in a different place, and that's after a lot of hard work to make sure that we had the tools to protect each other against COVID. What we've been seeing is lower hospitalizations and lower deaths, even as we saw high levels of virus spread. So this past- That was the voice of the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Mandy Cohen, whose agency last week released new guidelines related to respiratory viruses. The agency's recommendations aim to provide a unified approach to a range of common respiratory viral illnesses, including COVID-19, flu, and RSV. Under the latest guidance, individuals whose COVID-19 symptoms are improving and who have been fever-free for 24 hours without medication no longer need to isolate for a prolonged period. If individuals do choose to return to public places, however, they should take steps such as masking, and keeping their distance from others for five days. The CDC's guidance includes additional recommendations for people who are pregnant, immunocompromised, have disabilities, or are over the age of 65. Final news today, where Representative Mark Green, a Republican from Tennessee who chairs the House's Homeland Security Committee, has reversed his decision to retire from Congress this year. Green will run for re-election to represent Tennessee's 7th Congressional District in November. In a statement, Green said, quote, While my strong desire was to leave Congress at the end of the year, since my announcement, I have received countless calls from constituents, colleagues, and President Trump urging me to reconsider. Unquote. A running list of members of Congress who are retiring or seeking other office can be found in our weekly written policy briefing on the news page of our website, at www.hhs.com. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the Ways and Means Committee organizing meeting for the 118th Congress. The Committee on Energy and Commerce will come to order. The chair recognizes herself for an opening statement. Um, and it's a pleasure to bring together the first meeting of the Finance Committee in the 118th Congress. Good morning. The Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions will come to order. All right. We end each week's episode with the call to order, where we lightning round congressional meetings and hearings in the near future that you need to know about. First, on Wednesday, March 6th at 9.30 a.m., the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hosts the continuation of the January 31st markup of legislation, including legislation to prohibit contracting with certain biotechnology providers. Second, on Wednesday, March 6th at 10 a.m., the Senate Budget Committee holds a hearing to examine how primary care improves health care efficiency. Third, on Wednesday, March 6th at 10 a.m., the House Oversight and Accountability Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic convenes a hearing titled, Examining the White House's Role in Pandemic Preparedness and Response. Fourth, on Thursday, March 7th at 9 a.m., the House Select Subcommittee on the Chinese Communist Party gavels in the hearing, Growing Stakes, the Bioeconomy and American National Security. And last, on Thursday, March 7th at 11 a.m., the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, or HELP Committee, holds a hearing entitled, The Older Americans Act, supporting efforts to meet the needs of seniors. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Health on the Hill, brought to you by Heart Health Strategies. For more information on this week's healthcare happenings in the administration and on Capitol Hill, you can visit our website at hhs.com and click on the news section at the top of the page. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, 
including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Did we miss a story you wanted to hear this week? If so, email me at mduckworth at hhs.com, and we may include it in our next episode. Have a great week, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.